For the third time, a panel of judges filed into an Italian courtroom to deliver verdicts on Amanda Knox and Raffaele Solecito. Amanda Knox was handed down a sentence of 28 and a half years in prison, her co-accused 25 years. While neither of the defendants was in court, Meredith Kircher's sister and brother were present and looked satisfied with the outcome. Raffaele Solecito, who was in court this morning, was said to be too stressed to attend the verdict. Amanda Knox was watching on TV from her home in Seattle and has released a statement saying, I am frightened and saddened by this unjust verdict. Having been found innocent before, I expected better from the Italian justice system. Since the beginning, Amanda Knox's face has eclipsed that of Meredith Kircher. She had been in Italy for just two months when she was sexually assaulted and stabbed in her own bedroom in November 2007. When Amanda and Raffaele were seen kissing within hours of her body being found, it was deemed suspicious and they became the focus of attention. Investigators and prosecutors quickly came up with a theory that Amanda, Raffaele and a third man, Rudy Guede, who's still in prison for the crime, had been involved in a sex game that went wrong. After a sensational trial, Knox and Solecito were convicted in 2009, only to be acquitted two years later after appealing, and only for those acquittals to be thrown out by Italy's highest court last year. Speaking shortly before today's verdict, Meredith's brother said he'd never be able to find forgiveness. I think anybody would just need to read in detail or, or know what happened to her to then sort of question themselves, could they ever forgive somebody who did that to their sister or, or daughter? Lawyers for Knox and Solecito will now appeal the convictions. Luisa Baldini, BBC News. Hi guys, welcome to this month's exclusive Patreon episode. As always, we've put this episode together as a thank you to you guys for showing us your support through Patreon. We do apologise that it's a little bit later than usual, but it's school holidays here in Victoria, so I've been very busy with my kids. This week we'll be discussing the murder of 21-year-old British exchange student Meredith Kircher in Italy in 2007. Perugia is an Italian college town in Italy with a population of approximately 150,000 residents. Of those, around a quarter are students, both local and exchange. Perugia is known to be a cultural and artistic town. It's not one of the main tourist destinations in Italy, but it does have beautiful buildings such as the Palazzo dei Priori and the Galleria National de Umbria. I'm sorry if I said that wrong, I could not find the pronunciation. Perugia is also known for its active and animated social scene. Perugia was often overlooked by exchange students in favour of the more touristy areas such as Rome or Florence, so the majority of student population was locals. Meredith Susanna Cara Kircher was born on the 28th of December in 1985. Meredith was from London and was studying her third year of a four-year course in European Studies. She was studying through the University of Leeds. She had dreams of either following in her father John Kirsch's footsteps as a journalist or working in Parliament. Back home, her family and friends knew her as Mez and loved her for her intelligence, brilliant sense of humour and beautiful smile which lit up her face. 
She was an active girl with talents in dancing, soccer and karate. Her mother would later describe her as both physically and mentally strong. She was a serious student and always prioritised her studies, but in her spare time she loved to read detective novels. Meredith was very close to her family and was reluctant to move to Italy because her mother had become quite sick with kidney disease back in London. She brought a small mobile phone to Italy with her specifically to get in touch with her family in case she needed to rush home. She had arrived in Perugia in late August 2007. On the 10th of September 2007, Meredith moved into a house called Via della Pagola 7. This was a converted farmhouse with an upper level where Meredith would live with three other women and a lower level which was being rented out by four Italian men. The home was not in the best area and was known as a bruta zona, meaning a bad area. The front door had a faulty lock and would only stay closed if it had been shut with a key, otherwise it would blow open with the wind. Reportedly, a male friend of Meredith, Pietro, had warned her to never stay in the farmhouse alone overnight. The home was already initially rented by two Italian women, Laura Mezzetti and Filomena Romanilli. Laura and Filomena were close friends who had decided to rent together while they were both training lawyers at a local law firm. Both were in their late 20s, so a little bit older than Meredith, and they had chosen two bedrooms next to each other down the front of the house close to the street. So Meredith moved in on the 10th of September after responding to an ad that Laura and Philomena had put out for extra tenants. On the 20th of September, a fourth girl moved into the house. Amanda Knox was a 20-year-old American woman who had dreamt of living in Italy since she had visited with her family in 2001. She had become infatuated with the culture, food and people she had experienced in Italy. She had been studying Italian and German at the University of Washington in the US. Amanda Marie Knox was born on the 9th of July, 1987, in Seattle, Washington. Her mother, Edda, was a maths teacher, and her father, Kurt, was the vice president of finance at their local Macy's, which is an American department store. Her parents divorced when she was young, but both remained very involved in her life. Amanda was the eldest of four girls. She had a younger sister, Deanna, and two half-sisters, Ashley and Delaney. Amanda and Meredith had bedrooms next to each other at the back of the converted farmhouse and shared a small bathroom. Each of the four girls living in the farmhouse paid 300 euros a month to live there. At the beginning, when Amanda and Meredith first moved in, they got along well, but eventually their different personal interests would mean they both went their own ways. Meredith, along with the Italian roommates, found Amanda to be a little bit eccentric. Some examples that have been given for Amanda's eccentricities include her tendency to break into yoga poses in the middle of a conversation, or playing guitar when the other housemates were trying to watch TV. Despite this, the roommates would spend some time together, as well as with the males living downstairs, having pizza together. Having the four men living downstairs made the women feel safer than they would have otherwise. Meredith had been casually dating one of the men from downstairs, named Giacomo, who would later say of her, She was very pretty, and I was also impressed with her Italian. We would share CDs and play music together. 
Meredith spent most of her social time hanging out with fellow students from the University of Leeds. While in Perugia, most of the students would spend their time in the main boulevard, Corso Venucci. This was where the amenities were, such as restaurants and nightclubs. On the 25th of October 2007, Meredith and Amanda went to a classical music concert on a night out. When the intermission came around, Meredith had to go home, leaving Amanda on her own. When she went to sit back down, she noticed a young man sitting nearby that looked to her like an older Harry Potter, which was exactly her type. He was geeky, quiet, shy and intelligent. Raffaella Selecito was born on the 26th of March 1984 in Italy. He came from a wealthy family, with his father being a well-known, wealthy and respected urologist. Raffaella's parents had separated when he was young, and he and his sister Vanessa lived with their mother. Sadly, when Raffaella was around 19 years of age, his mother passed away from a suspected suicide. Amanda and Raffaella caught each other's eye that night, and from then onwards were inseparable. Like many very young couples... Their relationship consisted of having a lot of sex and spending every minute together. Raphaela's father would later report that every time he called his son around that time, he was either with Amanda or talking about Amanda. Meanwhile, the relationship between Amanda and Meredith was becoming strained. This isn't unusual considering they were living in such close quarters and very different people. According to one of Meredith's close friends, Robin, the friendship between the two housemates was, at times, a bit awkward and wasn't always smooth. Meredith and her English friends found some of Amanda's actions to be strange, attention-seeking and inappropriate. Robin would later recall a night where Meredith invited Amanda out for pizza and she burst loudly into song during the meal. It was very out of place and odd. In return, one of Amanda's close friends, Madison, would later defend her behaviour, stating, quote, If she felt like singing in a restaurant, she would. Maybe she felt really happy that night because she was in Italy. Amanda is one of the least judgmental people I've met, so sometimes it's hard for her to understand that even though she doesn't overanalyze every little thing like other people do, other people still do that to her. It wouldn't cross her mind that her singing would bother people, because it would never bother her if others did that. Meredith was open with her friends about her feelings about Amanda. She reportedly found it irritating that Amanda wouldn't help with the cleaning, reportedly had bad hygiene, boasted her Italian, strummed on her guitar the same chord over and over again, and the fact she was overly admiring of Laura, getting a bunch of ear piercings to imitate her. While Meredith told her friends about these problems, she did not communicate them to Amanda. In Italy, the 1st of November is a national public holiday named All Saints Day. This is a religious holiday when people visit their family and friends to exchange gifts and wish each other well. In 2007, both Philomena and Laura had planned to be away from the farmhouse for the public holiday, as were the four Italian men living downstairs. At approximately 4pm, Meredith made her way to her friend Robin's house nearby to spend the evening with her English friends Robin, Amy and Sophie. The girls had some dinner together and watched a movie till just before 9pm. 
At that stage, Meredith and Sophie left and walked together to Sophie's house, where they went their separate ways. Sophie recalled that she was home in time to see a TV show that began at 9pm. Meredith continued on home on her own. As far as Sophie and the other girls were aware, she wasn't planning on meeting anyone. A lot of evidence from this time of the night came from phone records. Meredith's mobile phone was known to be inside the farmhouse until approximately 10.13pm. By 12.10am, her phone pinged from a garden a couple of streets away from the farmhouse. Amanda Knox was spending the night at her new boyfriend, Raffaella Selecito's house, and the pair reportedly made dinner, watched a movie, and had sex before going to sleep. Raffaella had his own place and was lucky enough to have a maid and an Audi car. Compared to other kids his age from the area, he was very well off. Phone records and witness sightings placed them there until approximately 9.10pm, when the last activity took place on Raffaella's computer. The couple reportedly turned their phones off quite early that night, as they didn't want to be interrupted. Amanda had been scheduled to work at her job at a local pub, Le Chic, but her boss, Patrick Lumumba, had ended up giving her the night off. The next morning, on the 2nd of November, 2007, Raffaella and Amanda slept until approximately 10 or 10.30am. Amanda decided that she would go back to Via della Pagola to get showered and dressed for the day. She was a little shocked when she got home to find the front door open, but she put it down to one of her housemates, perhaps leaving it open to run out and get cigarettes. She went to her room, got unchanged and made her way to her and Meredith's shared bathroom to take a shower. In the bathroom, she noticed drops of blood on the sink and a blood stain on the bath mat but thought it may be some menstrual blood that hadn't been cleaned up properly. She got dressed, brushed her teeth and made her way to the bigger bathroom that Laura and Philomena shared at the front of the house. While she was drying her hair, she noticed that someone had left feces in the toilet, which was not something she would expect from her neat, tidy Italian roommates. Despite this, she made her way back to Raffaella's house to tell him what she had seen. At approximately 12pm, Philomena received a phone call from Amanda Knox telling her what she had seen in their shared apartment. Amanda told Philomena that she should probably come back home. Amanda and Raffaella then made their way back to the farmhouse and looked around. While they didn't notice anything missing, they were concerned about, a do- about the door to Meredith's bedroom being locked. Raffaella half-heartedly tried to force Meredith's bedroom door open before the pair called the Carabinieri which is the military police force in Italy. What the pair didn't realise was that Meredith's two mobile phones had been discovered in a garden a few streets over. The owner of the house had called the communications police about the matter, who had been able to identify the mobile phones as belonging to someone from Via della Pagola. With the knowledge of where the phone came from, the police made their way to the farmhouse and found Amanda and Raffaella standing out the front. At around the same time, Philomena, her friend, and their boyfriends arrived home too. Philomena and her group were extremely concerned about Meredith's well-being, and after the police made no effort to open the door, one of Philomena's friends forced it open. Sadly, inside, they found Meredith Kircher, deceased and covered with a doona. The crime scene was then sealed off by police. 
The injuries to Meredith's body were brutal and extensive. The forensic pathologist who performed her autopsy was Luca Lali from Perugia's Forensic Science Institute. Meredith's body was covered in bruises and cuts, and many of the injuries looked like they were caused by a hand pressing heavily over her mouth and nose. There were also injuries to Meredith's body that suggested possible sexual assault. In hearing the results of the pathologist and the fact that Meredith hadn't moved the entire attack, police developed the theory that there had to be more than one attacker who had committed the assault. Meredith had a fractured hyoid bone indicating strangulation and deep lesions to both sides of her neck. Her official cause of death was hemorrhagic shock with asphyxiation secondary to blood loss from her neck wounds. Just hours after Meredith was discovered deceased, Superintendent Monica Napoleone declared that the murder was not committed by a burglar, but that the break-in was staged to throw off the investigation. Because Amanda was the only one of the four housemates in the vicinity that night, herself and Raffaele became suspects immediately. For four days after Meredith was discovered, Amanda and Raffaella were interviewed without receiving adequate breaks or access to a lawyer. Amanda would later state that she felt police were using unfair pressure tactics to trick her into incriminating herself. At approximately midday on the 6th of November 2007, Amanda Knox, Raffaella Selecito, as well as Amanda's boss, Patrick Lamumba, were charged and arrested with the murder of Meredith Kircher. Amanda had implicated her boss, Patrick, during her questioning. He would soon be released because it was clear due to his alibi that he had nothing to do with the case. In the Italian criminal justice system, anyone who has been accused of a crime should be considered innocent until they have been proven guilty. However, they can still be held in custody until after their trial. Italian court trials, as well, can take a very long time because there are many breaks taken and they aren't run on a full-time basis. So it can be a very long time between the time a person is charged with a crime and a definitive decision has been made. Decisions can also be overturned by higher courts, and a decision is not considered final until all appeals by the suspects have been exhausted. When police began their forensic analysis of the crime scene, they discovered that Amanda and Raffaella were not the only people they would have to charge. In fact, forensic evidence didn't implicate Amanda and Raffaella at all. Rudy Herman Guidi was a 20-year-old man who was familiar to both Amanda Knox and Meredith Kircher. He had met them briefly after he had partied with the Italian boys living downstairs. The thing that the boys downstairs remembered him for was falling asleep on their toilet, which was unflushed and full of feces. Following the murder, bloody fingerprints in Meredith's room, along with fingerprints in the bathroom with the feces, were found to belong to Rudy Guidi. Because police had already charged Amanda and Raffaella, they took Rudy Guidi in and charged him with the murder on the 27th of October 2007, with the intention of suggesting he was a co-conspirator. Police found him after he had broken into a kindergarten. He was brandishing a huge 28-centimetre long knife. Unlike Amanda... And Raffaele, Rudy Guidi opted for a fast-track trial. In Italy, opting for a fast-track trial means that the defendant relinquishes some of their rights in exchange for a more lenient sentence, in many cases having a third of their sentence cut off. 
The funeral for Meredith Kircher was held at the Croydon Parish Church in England on the 14th of December 2007, with more than 300 of her friends and family attending to say goodbye. In the lead-up to the trial of Amanda Knox, a media storm began to swell around her. Amanda was at the centre of a media circus, and the victim, Meredith Kircher, began to move further and further into the background. The media named her Foxy Noxy, focusing on the way she looked and her eccentric mannerisms. They called her a slut and it became public knowledge that detectives had told the media that they could smell sex on her and her apartment. They called her a crazed murderer because she shot for lingerie and had sex with her new boyfriend, things that most 20-year-old girls are able to do, not in the spotlight. Meanwhile, Rudy Guidi's fast-track trial was taking place. He told the court that he and Meredith had kissed and been intimate that night in a consensual manner, but there was no sex between the two. He said he then got a stomach cramp and went to Laura and Philomena's bathroom to use the toilet. He stated that he then heard Meredith scream from the other side of the house and emerged to see a shadowy figure standing over her yelling in Italian, something that translates to found black man, found culprit, let's go. This story didn't match the forensic evidence and Rudy could not explain how his blood-stained palm print had come to get under Meredith's body. In October 2008, he was found guilty of the murder of Meredith Kircher and sentenced to 30 years in prison. In January 2009, the trial of Amanda Knox and Raffaella Selecito began. The two had pled not guilty to the charges against them, which were murder, sexual assault, carrying a knife, simulating a burglary, and the theft of 300 euros, two credit cards and two mobile phones. The prosecution relied on the media perception of Amanda Knox and her sexuality. They suggested that Amanda had attacked Meredith in her bedroom and then repeatedly bashed her head against a wall and tried to strangle her. The prosecutor, Menini, suggested hypothetically that Amanda may have taunted Meredith, saying, you acted the goody-goody so much, now we are going to show you, now you're going to be forced to have sex. The prosecution then theorised that Amanda and Raffaele removed Meredith's clothing before holding her down so Rudy could sexually assault her. They accused Amanda of being the one that inflicted the fatal stab wounds. Prosecution put forward one single piece of forensic evidence, which was that Raffaele's DNA was on Meredith's bra clasp. The amount of DNA was tiny compared to the amount of DNA from Rudy on Meredith's bra. Despite the prosecution stating that Amanda and Raffaella took off Meredith's clothing and held her down, there was no other DNA evidence placing them at the crime scene. They also had a homeless man, who later turned out to be a heroin addict, place Amanda and Raffaella near the house that night. The defence's case in the trial against Amanda and Raffaella was that Rudy Guidi was the only person involved in Meredith's murder. Amanda's defence team pointed out that none of Amanda's DNA, clothing fibres, hairs, shoe prints or skin cells were found at the scene of the crime. Despite the lack of evidence, on the 5th of December 2009, Amanda Knox and Raffaella Selecito were sentenced to 26 and 25 years in prison. They went to prison to begin to serve their sentences. While in Italy, it was widely believed a fair trial had taken place. 
In America, people believed the conviction of Amanda and Raffaele was a miscarriage of justice. As we briefly stated before, in Italy the verdict is not definitive until the defendants have completely exhausted all appeals. So after the pair were found guilty, the case moved to the Corte de Sisti Appello to be reviewed. This time, errors in the gathering and interpretation of DNA evidence were found. In the appeal court on the 3rd of October 2011, Amanda and Raffaella were found not guilty due to a lack of any DNA implicating them in the crime, as well as the fact that the prosecution's entire case had been flimsy in the first place. The official statement from the Corte di Sistia Palo was that Amanda had been interviewed after the homicide for an unreasonable length of time with no access to a lawyer and only a very basic understanding of the language. While she had implicated herself, it was likely to be a result of the stress, fatigue and lack of understanding of what was happening. False confessions are surprisingly common worldwide, with the Innocence Project stating that one in four people wrongfully convicted but later exonerated by DNA evidence make a false confession or incriminating statement. The situation that Amanda Knox was in would definitely fall under a factor for why someone may incriminate themselves. Despite being found not guilty of murder, Amanda was still charged three years for falsely implicating her boss at the time, Patrick Lumumba. She had already served this, so after what must have been a huge and horrific ordeal, Amanda Knox was allowed to fly home to Seattle, Washington. In March 2013, the highest court in Italy, the Supreme Court of Cassation, it was decided that Amanda and Raffaele's acquittal would be overturned because the appeal court didn't redo the DNA tests to prove that Amanda and Raffaele had not been present for the murder of Meredith Kircher. They were found guilty again of the crime in January 2014. On March 27, 2015, a final appeal took place in the cases of Amanda Knox and Raffaella Selecito and was heard by the Supreme Court of Cassation. Finally, the pair were definitively acquitted, leaving Rudy Guidi, the sole perpetrator of the horrific murder of the intelligent, beautiful and much-loved young woman, Meredith Kircher. Five years after her death, Meredith's university, along with the Italian Embassy in London, instituted a scholarship fund in Meredith's name to help encourage students to work hard like she did. So much of the media around this case focuses on Amanda Knox, rather than paying respect to the true victim of this horrible crime, Meredith Kircher. Our thoughts go out to Meredith's friends and family. Thank you for joining us for this Patreon episode, and until next month, please stay safe.